Welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose, a podcast that offers a different perspective on what a job can be. For everyone out there that's heard that voice in the back of their head asking for something more, it's time to listen to it. I'm your host, Gino, and join me as I interview people who have decided to work in their own purpose. Together, we will learn, become inspired, and hopefully find our own path towards working in our purpose. Joining me today on the podcast is Kendall Egan, who has worked in many different businesses and startups doing business development, sales, and marketing. She ran her own marketing consultant agency and is now the co-founder of Box, a startup that creates prefab work-from-home pods. Kendall, welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're here. So why don't we start by uh, just you telling us in your own words a little bit about yourself and what you do and, you know, maybe even like where you went to school and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. So I uh, I grew up in California, went to school in Boston, met a New Yorker and ended up in New York. So um, that's the the condensed version. And I started off, you know, as a liberal arts major, not really knowing what I wanted to do and had a couple of great internships, but, you know, just again, it was, it was a different sort of era. And, you know, as a liberal arts major, you didn't really go through the corporate recruiting as much as the business school did. So I ended up, you know, starting off in sales, spot sales and for CBS and really in an assistant role and then, you know, worked into a junior role. And then it, just was a very, it was just going to be really too hard to stay in spot sales as much as I liked advertising sales, as much as I liked sales. It was just, you know, a little bit unpleasant. And I moved into fashion, same thing, doing sales and marketing, started off in corporate marketing, moved into sales, then had a baby and stepped off. You know, the, the math was different back in the day. Like, with childcare, you kind of looked at what your salary was versus what childcare costs. And it was like, well, this doesn't make any sort of sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not investing in my future by staying in the workforce. I'm stepping off because childcare is so expensive and it's, it doesn't make any sense. So took that hiatus and then really started back in, in that freelancing type of role, did a great research project, finished my MBA, and then went to work for my first startup. And that was Gluten-Free Living Magazine. Gluten-Free Publishing was the overarching company. Um, And it was a really great experience because at the time I went back into sales again, back into advertising sales, and it was such a hot topic. Like all things gluten-free was just a really, really hot topic in the 2000s. And print publishing was still a big thing. So we were building this great book of advertising. I was building this great book of advertising business. And all of these exciting social media platforms were also starting at that time. So, you know, Facebook came along and Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter. And we just learned to use all of these things and harness all of these things. And so, you know, while these digital things were on the rise, print publishing was not thriving as much. And we were acquired kind of at the exact right time. You know, all of a sudden, this big book of business that I had built 
they were also doing social media and they were looking at using Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram and Tumblr and all these other things and writing blogs. So they were kind of, you know, able to do their own thing. So that was just a very lucky, you know, we sold it the right time. The topic continued to be huge. I stayed on with the company for a year and then went and started doing my own marketing. I had my first client actually was Matavor Media who had purchased Gluten Free Living and we did a conference together. So did that for three years and then went back into brand marketing, which was a small boutique agency up in Norwalk. And that was an, an awful lot of fun. It was a really different, it wasn't the digital stuff as much. It was more birthing a company from an idea to launch. And you know, again, that was a really great experience. Stepped off again for caregiving this time on the other end, taking care of my parents. And then, you know, since then, it's been a series of startups, some more successful than others. And, you know, kind of have stayed, I feel like I've pigeonholed myself into a startup uh, role just, you know, going forward, but it is an awful lot of fun. So there's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, is this startup culture kind of different? Because I don't have like any experience with startups or anything like that. I do have very traditional corporate experience. Do you have any like opinion on like what the differences are and like maybe sure. pros and cons of startup culture? Sure. So one thing in corporate America is that, you know, you get hired for a job you know, uh, you're either in sales or you're in marketing and you have a set of whether you, whether you call them tasks or deliverables or, or things that you do every single day. And an awful lot of corporate America jobs have cycles. So it's wash, rinse, repeat, you know, you keep doing, you kind of do the same thing over and over again, and you get really good at something, you master something and you rise up the ladder, you learn new skills, of course, but you know, for sales, for example, you know, one of the things that you end up like as you progress is management and management and sales are very different jobs. And, you know, I'm not as fond of the management piece as I am the sales piece. And so I didn't want that trajectory as much. And in marketing, you know, as things got digital, people really thought that, especially in digital, that someone significantly younger was the digital native. And so even though I had used and harnessed and learned and done campaigns and done all this from the inception of these, these, these products, these services, uh, this medium, like I was never going to be able to get into digital marketing because I wasn't in my twenties or thirties. You know, no one did, no one really believed that I, I had those skill sets and I always ended up with social media and always ended up even, you know, with every startup. So again, it's just very like, like tra tra the trajectory and the daily tasks are very different in corporate America. You know, some of it is repetitive. Some of it is, you know, for me, sales and marketing were very separate and distinct in corporate America. Whereas with a startup, very different, you know, in a startup, you wear, a lot of different hats. You have a lot of different responsibilities. Your job evolves as needs evolve. So, you know, for example, the last one I was in, I was hired to do vendor development. So business development, create that book of business, you know, bring in new companies, 
But along the way, you know, there was a portal that was developed. So, you know, I'm teaching vendors how to use it and I'm doing UI UX on the portal. I'm like, no, this, this doesn't work. You know, let's send it back to development. And that's something, you know, in an established company, your portal's working, your sales, you know, your stuff is working. You're not, you're not liaising with the developers to fix it. You're not saying, I think we should do it this way instead because it's an established thing. It's not this new, you know, evolving, iterating brand new product. So, you know, again, it can be overwhelming in the sense that you have to learn to say, I can't do this. I, I, my plate is full. And, and sometimes that's not acceptable in a startup. You know, you don't have that ability to say, I, I really can't do one more thing. But it is that excitement and that, you know, it's a thrill of just building something from the ground up and having, you know, knowing that your fingerprints are all over whatever the technology is. And, the, you know, the, whether it's the marketing strategy or the social media campaigns and, and, you know, writing the instruction manual, doing the beta test on something, it's just all very, gosh, it's really exciting for lack of a better word. You know, you really get to dive in and, and, and play with every facet of the company. Yeah. That, that sounds to me, you know, from my own personality and stuff like that, it sounds like that would be something that would interest me because you can kind of do something different every day and figure out new problems and maybe similar to working for maybe a smaller company where, you know, you don't just have one task, but you, you do your task and then you kind of help out here and you kind of, you know, can help put your own self into the company, I think, which is, which is interesting. Right. But, you know, talking a little bit more about marketing, I did want to ask you about marketing itself and marketing as a whole, because you did mention like, you know, in corporate, they maybe break up marketing into different categories, but um, to you, maybe they're very different categories. And I think even just to myself, marketing is like such a, uh, a vague term and I don't even really know a lot about it and being kind of a solo business, you know, owner, having to do all of it is very overwhelming what parts of marketing have you done specifically? You said social media and stuff like that. Um, But what other parts of marketing are there that are important for a business? Well, there's, you know, there's a part of marketing that, you know, is directly linked to sales. So it's, that's customer acquisition. You know, a sales team needs collateral. They need a good, strong website that's working. Whether the sales team is developing it themselves or whether they're working hand in hand with a marketing team. They need to know their customer. They have to have email pitches and scripts written. They need to be able to have, you know, teaching documents if it's a, if it's a platform or a service. So there's all there's a whole lot of marketing that goes into supporting sales. That's one tranche, and it's it's very very important. Obviously, you know, the the better your messaging is, the better your website is, the better the collateral on your product is, the more successful your sales team is. Anything that you can do in support of that. There's customer acquisition. There's, you know, knowing your customer, understanding the personas. That's more in brand marketing. You know, brand marketing is the look, the feel, the personality traits, the reasons to believe in a company, all of the emotional benefits. You know, what you look like, what are your colors? What are your fonts? What's your logo? What's your tagline? What's your message? You know, 
again, getting into the words, the, the core things, and then getting into personas and understanding who you targeting, you know, what's the value proposition of that. So it's that whole building your brand is one segment of marketing. Then there's, you know, there's all the digital, there's, there's advertising, there's SEO, SEM, there's, you know, keyword planning and, and how are people going to find your website and, and how have you studied your, your website with all of those words in your tagging and in your content and having it be authentic and good content, but still, you know, harnessing those keywords for search results. There is social, there's developing those audiences. I mean, when, when everything was first launched, building a core following was so easy. It was easy. You know, it was, it was great because there was no gates, you know, now there's gates on everything. You have to pay to play. And then you there's a whole advertising segment in there. You know, you don't just launch a Facebook page and all of a sudden, you know, just through really great content, get an audience because you're not getting seen by anybody unless you pay to play. Uh, so that's why all these evolutions, when TikTok comes along and something else comes along, you know, in the, in the initial stages, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of much easier to, to get a following until they put the gates on there. There's influencer marketing, you know, having somebody rep your brand, having paying someone to wear your clothes or put the lipstick on and talk about it, you know, and whether you're using an Instagram or TikTok, that's a whole, you know, a whole nother segment of marketing. And, and not every product needs to utilize everything. You know, every product, every service should start with the brand you know, and do all of that foundational stuff and then move into, you know, I think a website definitely provides that credibility. You know, it it gives your customers a place to search you. You know, there are, if you use YouTube, that's a huge search engine. That's, you know, number two search engine. If you have products on Amazon, you know, that's a search engine. That's a way people research and find you. It's about getting found and it's about customer acquisition. It's about supporting sales. So, you know, another aspect of it is earned media. You know, PR is not marketing. PR is separate and distinct, but in a small company, sometimes you have to oversee that. Podcasting is another, you know, I ran the, uh, we had an agency in my past company that procured, you know, speaking engagements for the founder and CEO. So like, you know, under that marketing umbrella, I, ran that. I vetted the podcast. I'm like, no, we don't want to be on that one. We want to be on this one. You know, so there's just, again, there's a lot of stuff that could go under that umbrella, but every company doesn't have to embrace every single strategy. Mm, Yeah. Wow. Just listening to you describe all those different areas makes me like (laughs) realize, oh, that's why it's so overwhelming for marketing for me because (laughs) there's so many different things you could do. Um, But I think an important piece of what you just said is you don't necessarily need all of them. And I think- That's maybe something that I've been trying to learn as of recent and, you know, pick the ones that are actually going to be working for me and then focus more so on those so I can do a better job at those. So as far as like social media, from my perspective, I'm not a social media person. I don't like social media at all, but I know, you know, you hear people say all the time you need a huge following and that's what's going to drive your business and stuff like that. Do you have an opinion about uh, social media and like, is it important to have a social media following or are there some cases where maybe it's not even necessary to have social media because it certainly is a huge time 
commitment. <laughs> it's a time sucks, but it is. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> um, I think, again, it all goes back to how are you going to be found? And, you know, how is whether you have a service, you have a product, you have a podcast, you know, how do you, how are people going to find you? How are people going to, you know, engage with you, your brand, your product? And that's really, you know, what you have to think about using content to showcase your value proposition. Why are you different from other people? Why is your t-shirt better than someone else's t-shirt? Why is, you know, your insurance service better than other people's insurance service? You know, whatever it is, you know, you, you have to think about methods to, you know, put your brand out there for people to find you. So, you know, again, when I say you don't have to do everything, you know, maybe a podcast doesn't have to be on Pinterest, but maybe it should be on Facebook and LinkedIn. You know, maybe those are the two ones that you think are the best ones for a clothing brand. Maybe TikTok is the right place, you know, you also have to look at the age group that you're trying to. Are you a corporate brand? Are you a fun brand? Are you targeting boomers? Are you targeting Gen Z? You know, it's all about kind of figuring out. And that's really the the key thing to do is figure out, well, who who's my target audience? You know, what's the voice I'm using to reach my target audience? And where is that best place to actually have my target audience find me? You know, and that all goes into this whole overarching strategy. You know, for Box, what I'm seeing is that Pinterest is really important. You know, if people are planning a she shed, they're all over Pinterest. I need to be all over Pinterest, you know, and that if, if I want someone to, to take a, a prefab studio and turn it into a she shed, like, I got to play in that sandbox because that's where, you know, Instagram's another one, like, that's kind of important. If I want to target work from home people, which I do, you know, I am employing a strategy of like work from home thought leadership on LinkedIn, you know, like sharing articles, sharing blogs, sharing, you know, work from home statistics and, and talking about, you know, the, the mental health benefits of having a separate workspace, you know, that you can leave at the end of the day. That's stuff that targets that audience. So I may be playing in, in multiple areas and creating content for multiple areas, but I've got a voice for each one, you know, and that's just about getting found. You know, I want people to find me and, and I want the right people to find me, you know, I, creating a yoga studio. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on Instagram creating a, uh, you know, a, a place for zoom calls without your kids barging in you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. So, you know, that's how you kind of decide where, you know, where you're going to put your messaging out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's also why it's so important to have your target market identified. And I think maybe as a small business, that's something that at least I've struggled with <laughs> trying to not appeal to everybody and be like, well, let me be very specific in who I'm trying to target because then it makes all that other stuff a lot easier because you can say no to these things because it doesn't make Correct. sense for this specific target. You know, and I think that that's, that's something a small business it's, it's, and I saw this very, very much so, you know, when 
when a small business like goes from, you know, an idea to a working functioning concept and a business, there's so much effort and energy put into like the company name, the URL, maybe the logo and colors and all of that. But doing the whole entire brand project is so important and you can't skip that step. And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of skipping that step. You know, you've got to really identify your target audience. You've got to identify the voice you want to use to reach that target audience. You have to really understand why you're different, what's your value proposition, your points of differentiation. And then as you do that, you can really start honing your messaging to be very effective, you know, because you, you're going after your, your customer acquisition strategy starts with the knowledge of who you actually think your customer is, you know, and that's really, really important. And it's a, it's a step that you just shouldn't skip in that whole brand identity process. Mm-hmm. So, and it is, it is, you know, think about this, you're a solopreneur, you're super busy, you've got the accounting responsibilities and the procurement and ordering responsibilities and the setup and the calendaring and the selling my business and all of that stuff is all your responsibility. And you're supposed to also take a step back and say, well, who is my customer and what is their persona? uh, Mm -hmm. It's so critical. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think part of it too, is that it, it seems like it's more almost like a, of an art thing, especially when it comes to like copywriting and coming up with like taglines or very short like text, you know, on, under your logo on your website, like of three words or four words, I found that to be extremely challenging. Yeah. Um, and is, is that something that like is more of an art sort of thing or can it be driven by data? So that's a really great question. Um, and I would say that, you, you know, coming up with something witty and clever and all of that, there are folks out there who are tremendous at that. There are now, you know, there are some tools out there that you can really also help, you know, you can use ChatGPT to like, Mm. you know, feed it prompts and hone it in and, and come up with some things. You know, if you're not the best writer or the most creative individual, you know, there's helpful tools out there. And then there is the data component too. Like there's, you know, when, when I was developing email pitches and and messaging, you know, you test it. Like, let's test this subject line. Let's test this subject line. Let's test this line underneath the subject line. You know, that when you use like MailChimp, for example, you have the ability to replicate a campaign and change, you know, your subject line, change the little line that goes underneath it. And, you know, really half the time, that's all you're going to get from anybody's attention on an email, they're going to see those two things, the subject line and that, and, and you, you've got data, good data to see what works. You know, you can see like, okay, this had an open rate, this particular combination of subject line and, and the underneath line had a much higher open rate. So let's go with that one. And then you can also test your messaging inside there. Like what, you know, what in your content of your, the body of your email, what worked, what resonated, what got you a phone call. And you just, again, that data, you know, that's the secondary part. So you, you test things, you, you, you know, no one hits a home run in their messaging, like the, you know, right at their first event, like you just, you just have to keep testing and iterating and, and, and seeing different combinations and patterns of things that work. 
you know, you may segment an audience for a campaign and think, oh, I've got this. And then it's like, well, that, that wasn't that successful. And let's try a different audience. Let's try something else, you know, and that's part of marketing is really, you know, testing, 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 and using the data and all of the, the great analytic tools at your fingertips to see that what, what sticks, what, Mm. what made a difference with your customer. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I think that's, that's, partially why it seems like so much of a task for me because i'm always thinking like all right what's the one thing i can do and then be good with it forever and (laughs) instead of thinking of it like well maybe this is you know trial a and then we'll do a trial b and then compare them Mm -hmm. and then c and it's an iterative process um so i think maybe a lot of times it seems like you can't do that because that would be too time consuming or something but in the end if you spend less time doing the first iteration you probably do have enough time to do two of them and and look at the actual data right um so yeah i think i think that that's a really good advice you know and conversely if you just go with something and you just go with it and you stick with it and you have no idea like could something be better you know if if it's not working at all that's a pretty positive clue that you should probably try something else but you know could something else be better could something else resonate more with someone so just again just keep trying things and mm-hmm. and and messages also you know you need to be fresh you need to keep things you know you've got some probably the same eyeballs looking at stuff over and over again so you you want to keep it fresh and changing and new you know keep people coming back for more mm. that, that's also a good point i think that's maybe something you don't really think about either is <laughs> even if you do have a good message or good colors or branding or logo you may want to refresh it and five years or so, or, or, you know, however that looks like. How do you feel about ChatGPT in specific and like AI? Is that going to be a tool that will help automate some of the marketing or will it more so just help people who are doing marketing? So it's a, it's a tool that uh, all of this the generative AI is just, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. I've used it to create art for blogs, mm. you know, like, Fed it. I'm 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 not really good at prompts yet for art. Like I I definitely I have to work on that. I'm like no, that's not what I wanted at all. That's absolutely <laughs> not what I wanted. Um, but it really is great for, you know, I don't I don't think it's going to totally replace like copywriters or writers in general because from what I've seen so far, it the writing is basic. It's very you know simplistic, and you know I think people can string subject verb together a little bit more interestingly than the AI right now, but it is phenomenal for background, you know, like, Hey, I need a listicle of like the top five reasons it's great to work from home or the, the top, you know, 10 productivity tips, stuff like that. And you can just keep regenerating and regenerating, and then you can pull it out. And all of that background is kind of done for you. And then as a blog writer, I can make that background my own. So it saves me a ton of time. Like I just, I use chat GPT, for example, to create a bunch of background information or really search and find background information about the Sunday scaries, you know, like are the Sunday scaries, you know, less if you work from home, you know, I don't know, but I, you know, went in and I used it and found a bunch of different things that sounded really good to me, they, they sounded thoughtful and pulled it out. And then, you know, I'm going to use that background to write something 
original. And, you know, it's just extremely helpful in that regard. And I think it, it is going to change a lot of, certainly it's going to change a lot of marketing. I think, you know, for example, one of the things Canva is doing, which is so great, is that they will generate text and then you feed the text back in and it will generate social media posts for you. Like you pick a template for like, let's say an Instagram post, you want to post tips on something. It'll generate the tips and then you feed the tips back in after you pick a template and it generates, you know, 25 social media posts. Like that's epic. That's huge. I mean, some of this stuff erasing backgrounds, you know, it's all in one platform. They're using, it's almost a democratization of uh, graphic design and, and things that you don't necessarily need a Photoshop for anymore or, or anyone can do it basically. So it, 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 it is very interesting to see mm-hmm. the utilization of some of these generative AIs. Yeah, definitely. Two, two things that I just thought of as you were speaking to connect like the chat GPT, cause I've tried using it and it haven't really been helpful, but I think if you think of it in a different way and you, you're not thinking of it as like, it's going to write my blog article, you're going to think of it as it's doing the research for my blog article because it's a really good research tool that works a lot faster than I do. So if you can use it almost as like doing all the research for you, then you can, you know, start your blog post way further ahead and with way less time than you would have previously. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. And then, yeah, for sure. Canva has also been like a hugely, uh, helpful tool for me, even just like when I'm working with clients and like trying to make podcast cover art or something like that, I don't don't know how to use any like Adobe software, but on Canva, I can make a pretty good looking cover art and you can edit it and you can change it. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's made it a lot easier to be a graphic designer. Just one cool thing I've used on Canva in the past is the QR code generator. Like oh, absolutely. you can just put a link in and have a QR code. Like I didn't know how to do that before, but <laughs> right. that's super helpful. <laughs> well, that not unlike you could actually do that in Google as well, but it, uh, it is prettier when you do it in Canva. Like it's, it's a stylized QR code, which is mm-hmm. really nice. You know, instead of having a like I did one for box and it had like a little dinosaur in it. I used Google. Mm. Um, but then when I did it in, in Canva, it was like a round one. It was pretty, I could, you know, I could move it into different things and, and, and it was so easy, right? Like just mm-hmm. so easy. So <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and that's something where, you know, again, like in, in the whole, like having moved into startups and really working with startups in the past, you know, four or five years, it is that like mile wide set of experiences just for that foundational build. And then, you know, once you get that foundation, you really do need specialists. You need people who are, you know, very good at running campaigns and doing things for social media and someone else to handle uh, content development, you know, and, and, and have a hire a team for sales. You know, there's, there's things that like you get to a point of like, okay, I've done this foundational build and now I got to hire people to who are those corporate people who have that specialization and who like to be in and something where they're in that cycle. And there are people who are very good at that. And like, you know, I like sales and I want to do sales and I love this cycle and I love knowing what tomorrow's going to look like. And I like doing, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. And that's great. You know, there's people that, you know, you need everybody, right? You need everybody in there. 
people like myself who aren't so fond of like doing the same thing over and over again, but, and then the people who really like, they just want to be in sales or they just want to do social media or they just want to do this. That's what, you know, those are the people that I need once a startup gets to a point of, you know, critical scale. Like I can't have my mm-hmm. finger in every pot. It has, someone else has to handle this and just this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point too. Um, because I think a lot of times I'll look at like corporate and just from my own experience, like look at it really cynically and be like, oh, this is a terrible place. You know, I don't want to be here. Uh, nobody should be in there. But you know, in some cases, there are people who excel in that environment and that's something that they do like. So that's definitely something to be aware of. And then even like you're saying, if you're scaling a business, you need certain people to do certain tasks right. and and not, you know, want to stray or not want to go do other things and be distracted. Um, right. So, so they, have, really they have point. 25 years experience in a particular area. Like they may have done every, you know, they, they have done a lot of different roles and whatnot in like a retail buyer, for example, they've done, you know, that particular job, they've moved up, they're very senior, but they've always done that, you know, and they may have done it for a couple different companies. You need that person with that core expertise eventually. Mm-hmm. As you're starting, you know, you really just need people who can get in there and grind and do a lot of different things and, you know, get, get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, So yeah, I do want to talk a little bit more about Box and how you got involved in Box and how you got started. So yeah, if you want to share, you know, sure, sure. So Trevor found me. So Trevor Hufford and I have been working together now since really since January and you know, I had just come off a startup. I had, I was, I was pretty burned out. I have to say, you know, it'd been two years of two and a half years through the pandemic, like working all the time. And I was like, ah, you know, I gotta, I gotta step off. It's, I'm just exhausted. And I'm like, I'm, you know, my, my whole opinion was, gosh, I am super done with startups. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. Like this is too exhausting. Um, and he contacted me, he had found my profile on, I think it was like angel.co at the time and I, they're well found or something else now. And, you know, it kind of scoped me on LinkedIn and he had a couple of partners who had helped him with the foundational build of box. Um, so he really is, you know, he's got 20 plus years in construction, particularly with these structural insulated panels. It's a very specific uh, precision type of construction and, you know, the whole work from home during the pandemic movement, a couple people had asked him to build them studios in their backyard. So, you know, once you get asked more than once, you're like, wait, is there, is there something here? Is there a business here? So we, we started working together in earnest in January. And he, I really am doing more of the, you know, I took over the, the whole marketing end of it and the customer acquisition strategy part of it. And really just, you know, trying to think about potential partnerships and, you know, how are we going to sell this and do we have the right models? And, you know, there have been some changes and some things in development now that I think are going to be very fruitful. So we're at a stage right now where, you know, we're building one up in Massachusetts right now. It looks great. And a lot of learning comes from that. He had built a couple during the pandemic. So the pricing, you know, okay, was the pricing right? You know, is this sustainable? What are we going to change? Like those discussions we will have after this. But, you know, just really currently working on 
let's figure out how we can get to a point where we're selling a couple of these a month and, you know, then get to a point where is the demand there to build a factory? You know, he really wants to build a factory and, you know, it's just absolutely ground level right now trying to see, you know, which model is going to be the most successful, which size, what's the price point. So we're kind of focusing on, you know, three different price points, three different models. We're adding a fourth model now in collaboration with another company. The ink's not quite dry yet on the deal. So I'll, I'll keep that under wraps, but, you know, and seeing if we can become a regional player in these small structures, these back, these backyard structures, you know, ADUs are big deal out West. This, this whole concept of like backyard units is much bigger out West. So, you know, we're kind of introducing it to this Northeast corridor. You know, this hasn't been as big a thing here and we're building it in such a way that it's, it's, you know, structurally sound and insulated. Like a lot of the, you know, the, the sheds out West are literally just converted sheds and there isn't insulation there's no need for it you know we were talking the, the, like oh you got to have uh french doors on a she shed and you know and on the west the doors can open out and you know trevor's like here the doors open in because of snow <laughs> you know like we can't have those doors opening out we have they open in on the on the east coast so you know it's just like those type, type of things figuring out our personas figuring out our target market figuring out you know, is it a work from home? Is it a she shed? Is it an art studio? Like what resonates the most? And we're just slowly but surely, you know, looking at each area of business, reaching out to them. And so he's design and build and I'm customer acquisition and marketing and partnership development. So, you know, we're working together. I'm building a movie and I movie right now of, of the project going up. I'm like, take some more pictures, you know, let's take some video. Like, I know you're very busy, but (laughs) (laughs) please provide me the tools I need. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Got to get that content. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I swore I was like, I'm just, I'm not doing another startup, but he's a good guy and he, we, we do get along very well. And I am, I I am thinking that this is, this has some legs, you know, that there's, there's going to be some interest. Everybody seems to be very interested in it and we just have to figure out the right you know, the right size price point and kind of the easiest way to put these together, you know, and do we have endless design choices or do we more curate design choices and narrow it? So, you know, it's all kind of like up in the air right now and, and iterating and discovering what works. Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, the, the testing and seeing what works. Mm-hmm. So are you also testing like the, the end client too? Like, like you were saying that the different kinds of either art studio or uh, the she shed or work from home, are you testing those three and are, are there intentions to kind of pick one or? No, I don't think there's intentions to pick one. It really is more in the, who is the decision maker on this, right? The marketing research said X, but in the reality, we've seen why, and we don't have enough data yet because again, these are long lead time sales. They're not, you know, it's not something you just go on Amazon and buy. 
you know, it's, it's definitely a process of discussion and design and, you know, put, put a deposit down and then, okay, we'll get these things done. And what do you think about these colorways? And there's renderings that have to be built and, and maybe, you know, that's too much customization. And maybe, you know, as we go through this, we're going to say, you know, here are the four colorways that you can choose from. And we've already got the renderings for these. So it's just, again, you know, it is very iterative at this point in time, but you know, we are looking at, to your point, testing, testing a different look, you know, right now our models and designs are, are very sleek and they're modern and we're looking at a different model. We're looking at something that's a little bit more in flavor of like Nantucket, you know, and that different sort of design. Maybe that's something that that's a she shed market. And this particular model is what we really push for uh, an office. So again, you know, it's still very nascent and, you know, no decisions have been made. And so, you know, because it is long lead time, the testing will be long lead time and we will continue to, you know, message to different segments to figure out, okay, you know, where are we going to get the most traction to, you know, get to a point of real, not scale, but like sustainable that we, okay, we can invest the money now to go into a space to actually assemble these, you know, in a factory and then deliver them and install them versus right now we're assembling them as a kit and installing them on site because that's, you know, we don't have, we don't have the volume yet to do it any other way, you know, so you gotta, you just, you just gotta keep kind of grinding and figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are getting, uh, you know, kind of close to the end of our time here, but I did have one more question for you that um, I just, you know, kind of thought of as you were speaking. And and that's as far as like when you're looking at the data of something versus like maybe even having your own opinion or your own wants about something. How do you, how do you separate that? Because I think for myself, I've maybe seen the data, but been like, well, this is the answer I like. And then trying to make the data make sense for that answer. How do, <laughs> how do you like separate that? The gut feeling, right? The- Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a really great question i really don't think that you can't ignore the data you also can't ignore your gut (laughs) and i think that i lean very heavily on going into this for example you know this was we're going to target women this household income this particular you know type of neighborhood and i looked at that and i said well that's interesting but i'm not sure our designs fit that particular what what the marketing research found you know and so i said that's what sort of prompted me maybe we need a different roof line maybe we need to talk to these people because I'm not sure that what we're offering fits what the research said is our ground truth. And so that did prompt a discussion that prompted an outreach to, you know, another company like, hey, can we potentially collaborate? Because I think you could help us come up with a design that would resonate with the marketing that we found. And then, you know, I'm going to work with somebody else and say, this is my hypothesis, right? Like to your point, like, this is what I think. 
but I'm not sure. And we don't have enough data yet. The data that we have doesn't say this, but, you know, how can we test to see, you know, if my hypothesis is true? Like, I think that we should be targeting men. You know, I think that, you know, when you look at a car decision or you look at a $35,000 decision, like, should we be targeting the men and not the women? Like, I don't know. Or like, should it be a more joint target? And and so there's just things, there's nuance that you kind of go in and you think about it and you don't ignore your gut, but then you kind of figure out a way to, again, test it, test it before you do anything. And, and, and when you're messaging and you're doing a campaign, you can look at all your analytics you can see if it's working or not pretty quickly. And so, you know, you pivot if it's like, okay, this is not right. You pivot away from it. So, and for us, it's like, it's a design, you know, we're not building something and then showing it based upon a hypothesis. We can design it and and advertise it and market it and, you know, see what the reaction is. So, you know, again, it's very different if you have to plunk down for inventory or, you know, invest money up front to build something maybe you go more on data but when you can use messaging design and ad campaign and potential collaboration to test the hypothesis it's just a little different Mm, yeah yeah those are those are all really great points i think and well certainly a balance between the gut and the data because i think the data is only going to show you so much and you know depending on where you're getting the data and how you're getting it and that sort of thing. So I think that that's, that's a really smart way of going about it is kind of balancing it and using both to help make the best decision. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've, uh, we've run out to the end of our time here, but if people would like to connect with you or with box, uh, where, where are the places that they can find you? Absolutely. So the easiest place to find us is on our website. It's box B O X X dot work. And, you know, my, I can put my email in the show notes if you'll allow me to do that, but it's Kendall at box.work and uh, Trevor is Trevor at box.work. And, uh, you know, we work closely together every day. So, um, you know, happy to have a conversation with somebody who wants some backyard space. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. I'll for sure link those, uh, in the show notes so people can get a hold of you guys and check out the product that you guys are creating. So thank you again for for coming on and and for all your wisdom. Thank you, Gino. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Working Towards Our Purpose. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.